Our scripture passage today is from Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, great to see you all this morning. My name is Gabe Coyle, and welcome again to Christ Community's downtown campus. I want to start in a place we've all been. I don't care who you are. You've either been a victim or an attacker in this scenario. Um, it's late in the afternoon. It's been a rough day. And suddenly you realize you've worked your way through lunch. And you're starting to look like this. <clears throat> in a word, you're hangry, right? Hanger is that dangerous intersection where your anger and your hunger meet, where your physiology uncomfortably pulls back the curtain on your spirituality. What isn't in your stomach pushes out what is hidden deep within your heart. And if you found yourself in that moment, you do whatever you can to resolve the hunger, right? Whether it's the candy raid of a fellow employee's desk drawer or eating the pasta that was left in the office fridge for weeks, whosoever it is, Maybe you're one of the lucky ones who makes it to dinner. And by the time you sit down, maybe you go out to eat and you fill up on the free bread that comes before the entree comes. And look, we've all been there. We're desperate. We feel like we're on edge until we get something, anything to fill the void. Well, when we come to Israel this morning, they've got more than just a bad case of the munchies, okay? Instead, Israel epitomizes what it means to be hangry for bread, to be hangry for bread. Now, Israel, they're finally free. They're out of Egypt. The Egyptian military no longer is a threat to them. Their Egyptian taskmasters are no longer able to harass them. And yet the irony is, when we come to our passage this morning, we see that the issues for Israel are just beginning. They're just beginning. You see, it's one thing for God to pull Israel out of slavery. It's a completely other thing for God to pull the slavery out of Israel. It's one thing for God to deliver Israel out of the slavery of the Egyptians, but it's a completely other thing for God to pull the slavery out of Israel. Now, 
Of course, the Egyptians were oppressive. But one of the greatest battles for you and I, it's true of Israel here, is fought behind the closed doors of the heart. And as their stomachs growl, their hearts begin to grumble. Now, if there's one thing you can pull away from this morning, one thing that I think God is trying to teach us through His Word in this particular moment in history, the deepest and the greatest answer to the deepest hanger of our hearts. And this may sound strange, but we don't need more bread. We need more of God. We don't need more bread. We need more of God. And I know at first blush that sounds churchy, but look where you're at. (laughs) You're at church. Okay, now the reality is when you look the whole world over, the fundamental human problem isn't a lack of, of bread. It's a lack of trust. Now, is the lack of bread, the lack of food in our world a real issue? Of course it is. And actually what we come to see is that food and nourishment are important components to human flourishing. We will never deny that as we seek to follow Jesus. But bread in and of itself never brings freedom. Only God can do that. We don't need more bread. We need more of God, ultimately. And it's going to take a series of desperate circumstances to reveal to Israel just how hangry, just how enslaved their hearts really are. Now, in the midst of your summer travels, if you've been able to follow along with us as we've journeyed through this book of Exodus, the life of Moses, you may remember the time is about 1400 BC. All that Israel has known for centuries is the brutality of Egypt. They've known their children to be murdered. They felt the sting of the whip. They cried out for God to deliverance, and it felt like he wasn't answering their prayers as if he didn't even care. But then something amazing happens. God shows up, and he shows up and does things that everyone thought were impossible. One, he begins by saving a baby in the midst of the reeds. This baby by the name of Moses grows up and then becomes an outcast, And by the time he's 80, God shows up in a bush on fire, though not being consumed, and then calls him back to be the leader of deliverance to this whole nation of slaves. And in the midst of all of this, we see absolute wonders, the the countless frogs, how many flies, how many gnats, all the blood, the parting of the waters, and finally, Israel's on their way to the promised land. I mean, can you imagine what they're thinking at this point? This is it. Everything we'd prayed for, everything we'd hoped for, our grandparents have been talking about this. They've been dreaming about this. And now here we are, walking, following Moses, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And we walk, and we walk, and we walk, and we walk, day after day, further into the desert, far from the Nile, and all its rich agricultural produce. And so finally, you come to a place called the wilderness of sin. That sounds pretty inviting, doesn't it? (laughs) That's the kind of place when you're on a road trip, you're white-knuckling, hoping you don't run out of gas or get a flat tire, because nothing lives there. I mean, oh, there's a rock, and oh, there happens to be another rock. What I wouldn't give to see a gnat or a frog once again. You know, the sun is just as hot as it was the day before, and Every breath feels like it's more stale with every dry breeze. And 45 days into this rigorous road trip, finally the last bit of the food reserves for Israel dissipates. 
and their celebration breaks. The this is it turns to, so this is it. (laughs) And you know what that's like. You've been there. When our expectations don't match experience and we go looking for escape. And yet, in the midst of all of this, their celebration turns to complaining and they go to Moses and Aaron and they give him an earful. Look with me at Exodus chapter 16, here in verse 3. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Oh, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Wait, Egypt? Them? Like those are the ones you want to go back to? But let's be real, okay? Let's put ourselves in their sandals for a moment. They're not reading the story, and they don't know the ending. They're living it. They're starving. Their children are starving. Their animals are getting shaky. And you would be doing the same thing if you were in their shoes. Hey, Moses. Hey, old man Moses, did you check your bifocals? Turn up your hearing aid. What are we supposed to eat out here? Don't you hear our kids crying? At least in Egypt, they had a pot bellies and a Panera bread. You know, what I wouldn't give for a you pick two special. And you know, now that I think about it, I would have rather died by the hand of God back in Egypt than you taking me out here God knows where and dying because of hunger? What's going on? How do you respond to something like that? You know, sociologists agree that you can pretty much predict the rise and fall of various political regimes based upon the availability of one thing. Can you guess what it is? Food, bread. (laughs) So we're quite in a precarious situation here. Moses, everyone's hungry. What's going to happen to this burgeoning new nation of people? Now, if Moses was the key strategist behind this whole Exodus. The only answer Moses really has at his fingertips is find the back door and get out of Dodge. But what does Moses say in response? Who are we? Why are you guys looking at us? We're not the pillar of fire. We're not the pillar of cloud. We're not the ones who led us out here into the wilderness. Your complaining actually proves you've got a beef with God. That's pretty striking. (laughs) And when push comes to shove, They seem to forget everything that God has done in the past and even go so far as to convince themselves that Egypt was always the most viable option. Not only the best option, but the most viable option for survival. At least they were a source of food, a source for life. And Israel proves deep down, even though they no longer have shackles on their hands, they're just as enslaved to where they were, to what they were before God broke in. Egypt still has their hearts within their grips. And doesn't that sound familiar? That's a perennial battle for all of us. When push comes to shove in our own lives, and suddenly we feel just completely unsatisfied, hungered for more, angry about the discomfort, and we go complaining. And then we look back. And we look at the moments our lives were in shambles and we reframe them now as the good old days. If I would have just known what I know now, I would have never come. If I would have just known, I wish I would have. You know, Sarah Groves, she's got this beautiful song called Painting Pictures of Egypt. 
And she captures this so well when she sings, I've been painting pictures of Egypt, leaving out what it lacks. The future feels so hard, and I want to go back. Are you there this morning? Where are you complaining? I want you to pause and now ask yourself, who are you really complaining about? Because it may, it just may be God who's brought you here to teach you something, to show you something, something more than just meets the eye. And God is actually teaching Israel to ask these very questions. And so he provides a test for them in the midst of the wilderness. A test that's not to prove whether they're good enough or not. No one's ever good enough. But a test that will reveal the slavery that's hidden underneath the dark recesses of their collective heart. And he lets Moses in on this test. If you look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, and if you're using one of the community Bibles, it's on page 55 or 58. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to... Make it rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. God will provide. God will provide. He always provides. Now, every time he provides what he provides isn't ultimately to feed our hunger, but more so to form our hearts. Let me say that again. Whenever God provides, what He provides isn't ultimately to feed our hunger, but to form our hearts. You see, Israel knows exactly what they want, but they have no idea what they need. And that's the perfect description of a heart issue. And that's why God allows them to come into this predicament, to enter into this test. And what we see in the story is the first way in which God provides for his people is through quail. Hundreds and thousands of quail. The text says in Exodus 16, verse 13, there's so many that they come and they cover the camp. And I can't help imagine, I guess we are Kansas City natives here, that barbecues start sparking up all across the camp. You know, and Aunt Rebecca pulls out her special spices and her secret family recipe. Kids are on the edge of the fire pit with eyes as big as baseballs. And laughter begins to spark across the whole camp until it's a slight roar as the people feast on what God's provided. Going to bed, dreaming, and wondering how God will provide bread the next day. If he can do this with the quail, imagine the loaves, the bread that he will bring. Now, I want you to put yourself once again in their sandals and imagine you wake up. It's right after the sunrise. You come out of your tent and the dew now has dissipated and you find this small flake-like frost that's never been there before. It seems brand new. And almost without realizing it, you begin to say out loud, what is it? <laughs> what is this? Which in Hebrew sounds a lot like manna, manna, manna. And so one of your neighbors in their tent next to you says, oh yeah, that's the bread that God provided. This is what Moses says we're supposed to eat. And instantly you begin to think, this is the bread? This is nothing like the loaves from Egypt. Nothing like the flat bread. This is some flake-like Parmesan substance. And so you reach down and hesitantly take a bite. 
And to your surprise, it tastes like a wafer coated in honey. And you're eating. And suddenly you remember Moses' command to gather enough for your family for the day. And as you're sitting, everybody eats to their full. Some people even have leftovers. What we find later in Exodus chapter 16 is Moses says, look, there's no room for doggy bags on our journey, okay? So whatever leftovers you have, kick those out of your tent. Because if you hold on to them, it's going to turn into maggots and it's going to make your tent reek. Now, of course, we love to press boundaries, don't we? So somebody had to try it out and it had to have made Moses frustrated. Actually, it says Moses gets ticked. It's like, come on, guys. We've gone through water. Just trust me. And so people keep some manna in their tents, and it turns to maggots, and their tents reek. The place you go to hide out of the shade, or to get into the shade, the place you go to eat and hang out as a family, now smells terrible. Now, here in Missouri and Kansas, I'm sure there's been a point where you've been on a road on a hot summer day, and you've driven by some roadkill. And if you're sitting with someone else in the vehicle, there's also that awkward moment as to where the smell's really coming from, Right? Well, there's something about stink that takes on a whole new level when you're in the midst of the desert. Needless to say, if you leave manna in your tent one day and you experience this stink, this is a kind of lesson you just have to learn once, right? So day two comes around, you get enough manna for your family, you discard the exit, the, the rest. Day three, you do the same. Day four, day five, and then day six rolls around, and there's a unique nuance here. You actually gather a double portion because God says, I will not put manna on the ground on the seventh day. Gather a double portion so that you can rest and stay within your tent and enjoy my great abundance. Also, so you don't look back to the wilderness of sin and say, those are the good old days. God says, no, I'm the one who's bringing you the bread. Don't think this is something unique to this geographical locale. I'm going to keep spicing it up to remind you that I'm the one who's doing this. But of course, Moses' command was to gather double amount and rest on the seventh day. But there are those who, even though they have enough on Saturday, all Israel wants, it appears, is want, they want bread. So even on the seventh day, they go out and they look for more bread and more bread. You see, if all you want is bread, you're going to be left wanting time and time again. And what's so amazing is when you come to this moment, if you're following the text and you've been with us as we went through the plagues, the language is very explicit here. You see, back when God was wanting to make himself known in Egypt and actually bringing his just judgment to an oppressive regime, what does he do? He brings a swarm of locusts who cover the ground and bring great judgment to Egypt. But here with his people in the wilderness... He brings a swarm of quail that cover the ground to bring great provision for his people. Very explicit the way this language is tied together. Then you come back to Egypt again, and when God is displaying himself in his just judgment of an oppressive regime, he rains down hail. But in the midst of the wilderness with Israel, he makes it rain bread for provision. And you know what's so fascinating about this is when you get to the end of chapter 16, we read that God provides this bread for 40 years. Every morning, within the same rhythm, 
God provides, which is pretty astounding if you know anything of the history of Israel. In the midst of their doubting, in the midst of their questioning, in the midst of their grumbling, no matter how Israel acts, God is always faithful in providing. That is His grace. It just screams all over the narrative of Israel. He always provides. But even in this rhythm of six days of provision, one day of rest, God's providing a picture of Himself. A picture of the one true source of life who's trustworthy if we'll just take what he has to offer. You know, if we look later in the book of Deuteronomy, 40 years later, Moses looks back on this account right before they are to enter the promised land. And he gives us some insight as to what God was doing here in Exodus 16. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Verses 2 and 3, Moses says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and, and listen to this, and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, before Israel enters the promised land, they need to remember that God himself is their salvation, not the land. They need to remember that God himself is their nourishment, not the bread. And while so many things have changed with the people of God throughout history, one thing has remained consistent in which we struggle We so desperately want God's bread, but we don't want anything to do with the provider. So often, we love getting good gifts from God, but we don't want to talk about the giver. And as I was wrestling through this, something struck me, and it kind of rocked my own devotional life. And it was the question that I was asking myself, and I want to ask it of you this morning as well. When was the last time in your prayer, in your prayer life, your chief and main goal for coming to prayer was to ask more of him. Your chief goal was to ask for more of God in your life, not a new car, even if you're financially strapped, not paying your bills on time, not the salvation of your kids, the salvation of your relatives, not the vocational progression of your journey, but first and foremost, just more of him and who he is and all that he is, and how he longs to fill. We don't need more bread, not ultimately. We need more of God. And if we let God teach us this morning what he has been teaching his people throughout history, I think it's going to show up in three practical realities in our everyday life. And the first is to recognize that when all you want is bread, there's never enough bread. When all you want is bread, there's never enough bread. This is why... When God says, I'm going to give you bread every morning, but discard the extra in the afternoon before it turns to maggots, Israel ignores God's command and keeps a hold of it. And so they experience the repercussions of a stinky camp. This is why when God says, I will provide you six days worth of bread and on the sixth day provide a double portion so you can rest. And yet people still on the seventh day go looking for more. This is a pattern The more you want something, whatever it is apart from God himself, the more you'll need 
One bite will always make you desire for two. You know, psychologists have a term for this when it comes to addiction. It's called tolerance. The more you engage, the more you abuse a particular substance, the more that is required to get you to reach that original high, which you never reach the original high ever again. And you find that at the end of the day, your senses are deadened. You see, we want God to feed our desires. We want him to engage our addictions. And we get frustrated like he's not answering our prayers when he doesn't. God, where are you? It's because God has a greater good for us than even we have for ourselves. As we said earlier, God isn't chiefly concerned with just feeding our desires, but now forming our hearts, our restless hearts, that we might desire good things that actually bring rest and satisfaction and joy. You know, one sentence that continues to haunt me is from C.S. Lewis. The first time I read it, I wrote it down and I had to kind of back away from reading. He says, no statement is more damning than I have all I need when that all doesn't include God. I have all I need when that all doesn't include God. Why? Because we may have all the bread we need, but if all we want is bread, then there's never enough bread. And there's no guarantee we'll have all that we want. There's no rest when all you want is bread. You can work six days and you can gather and you can bring it together and against every counsel that is from the outside who says, now rest and enjoy. You'll go out on the seventh day looking for more. You know who works seven days a week? Slaves. Slaves work seven days a week. And God sees this within the people of Israel and he wants to bring freedom that they might find enjoyment and delight in him. You may not be wearing chains on your ankles and your wrists this morning, but that doesn't mean your heart isn't enslaved. How about you? How about you? Where are you going out consistently to gather when you have enough? Maybe for some of you, it has everything and nothing to do with money. Just one more paycheck in the savings. One more building up. Finally, I'll be secure, is the word we use. And look, there's a health to savings and important financial planning, but there's also a fine line between hoarding and saving. Just a little bit more and I'll be satisfied, is what we tell ourselves. I'll finally feel safe. I'll finally know that I've got a secure nest egg for the future. And when that happens, finally, I'll be full. Maybe for some of you, it has to do with affirmation at work or in the classroom. So you work hours and you get the affirmation and then you work more hours and add more hours until suddenly you find yourself in a completely different addiction, workaholism, or something that's so good, a calling, a vocation, a studying, a sharpening, becomes everything. And you're living for that affirmation because one good word isn't enough. Maybe for some of you it's the attention from the opposite sex. And so you're putting more hours into the gym. Your diet is actually unhealthy because you're looking for a particular chiseled physique. Or maybe, just maybe, you're crafting a Facebook profile that'll be the perfect narrative. What is it for you? And your heart is restless. When all you want is bread, there's never enough bread. 
But that leads us secondly. When all you need is God, there's always bread. When all you need is God, there's always bread. No matter the circumstance. I mean, we're in the midst of the desert where nothing grows and God provides. Now, does that mean life is going to be comfortable? Is that a promise for perfect health and outrageous wealth? No. Israel grumbles. In Deuteronomy 8, God purposely lets them get hungry. And then there will be times where we stand right alongside of Israel. And when we ask for bread, God gives us manna. And it doesn't come from where we thought it would come. It doesn't taste like what we thought it should taste like. And it doesn't look like what we thought it should look like. But God provides. And listen here. There are plenty of places that provide bread. Egypt had bread, did it not? And there are plenty of places and people who promise bread. But that's not where God is. And it'll enslave you and eventually destroy you by consistently upping the cost and giving you less in return until finally you're in shambles and you've destroyed your relationships and your legacy. If you're going through a dry spell this morning, if you find yourself in a wilderness, you feel like your soul is starving and you can't put your finger on it, I want you to know you haven't missed your opportunity. You're not hopeless. You're not lost forever. You don't have to be. Instead, what we see is when, when Israel is looking back at mistakes or longing for a previous life, God says, I'm here with you in the desert. I'm right here. Don't go looking for me back there. Don't go looking for me up there. I'm right here now. The name that he gives his people at the burning bush and throughout the Exodus is Yahweh. I am who I am. I am the God who is present and the one who can form our desires and then fill our desires to make us even resilient in the wilderness is God himself if we'll let him. And that's a key caveat. If we'll let him. Not all of us will hear that warning and we'll go hungry. I love what Moses writes here in Exodus chapter 16, verse 18, when we read that each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat when the manna was on the ground. You know what that means? Across Israel, those who had faster metabolisms, slower metabolisms, those who were taller or smaller, everyone had enough to satisfy. And that's what God invites us to, a delight in Him regardless of the circumstance. I love what one theologian has written, where God's presence is, His provision, and His protection are also. Where God's presence is, His provision, and His protection are also. Do you believe that? Are you seeking God's presence first and foremost? Or are you just looking for His provision? Do you want bread or do you want God? Because when all you need is God, there's always bread. Always. And praise God, he's readily made himself available to us. You know, I know my heart. I know how twisted I am. I know that I just want the bread. I know that I want God to give me what I want him to give me so I can do what I want with what I want. <laughs> And praise God. The good news is that even, even when all we wanted was bread, remember that God became bread for us. 
Even, even when all we wanted was bread, remember God became bread for us. You know, there's this narrative tension in our passage that isn't resolved in the life of Moses. It isn't resolved in the history of Israel. Israel wants more bread. Then Moses dies and Israel wants more land. After they get the land, then they want a king that's like all the other nations. After they get a king, then they want a temple like all the other nations. Whatever, fill in the blank. But ultimately what they're wanting is everything but God. Eventually when you go through the history of Israel, God leaves the temple and nobody knows he's missing. But then God came. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And the historical person of Jesus, the Christ. And there's this amazing moment in Jesus' life where he feeds 5,000 people on a hillside. And after he's given this, this grandiose meal from a couple loaves and fishes, it's no surprise to us that they come asking for what? More bread. <laughs> And what does Jesus say in response in John chapter 6? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes on him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. When God was the last thing we were looking for, when we were desperate and hopeless, just like God, to become our food, to become our nourishment, and the salvation we desperately need. This morning, I don't know where you're at, but maybe, just maybe, you've never tasted the joy of Jesus. Maybe you've been wandering, looking for more bread and forgetting about the provider. Well, taste and see that the Lord is good. His table is has always an empty seat ready for you to sit. Oh, would we stop making bread our God and we would, would we just let the true God be our very bread? And hear me this morning, even at the very first taste, your heart will recognize that he's the one we've truly been hungering for all along. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, how good he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your provision. We are limited human beings. We are fallen people. We are situated in a culture that has a perspective on what provision even looks like. And so humbly, we thank you for the many ways in which you've provided for us. And God, I'm also mindful of those that are in our midst this morning who have never tasted and seen that Jesus is good, that he fills the deepest recesses of our hearts. May you continue to provide and extend and touch their hearts that they might know the beauties of the gospel and what you've done for us in Jesus and his life, his death, and his resurrection. And God, for those of us who have feasted with you before, may we ever hunger for righteousness. 
Oh, that we might be satisfied in you in the midst of so many pleasures that this world has to offer. May we look forward in anticipation, always crying out, come Lord Jesus, come. As we look forward to the feast of heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when finally hunger and thirst will be no more. And even in the meantime, may we know what it means to be full. We pray this in Jesus' name, the bread of life. Amen.